name is Liza Casapona, and I'm the managing editor of Retail Dive. I work with a group of passionate reporters and editors that won't shut up about the industry, so I decided to give them a podcast. Here's what we can't stop discussing and debating. Here's where we talk about the news outside of our reporting. Welcome to Retail's Backroom. But first, a word from our sponsor. Email marketing alone just isn't enough anymore. Shoppers are looking for a more personalized experience that goes beyond what any single channel can do. Luckily, there's OmniSend to help unify your channels under one roof. With OmniSend, you can finally graduate from a channel-centric approach to a customer-centric strategy. Keep your customers' data centralized in one place and create automated messages that adapt to your customers' purchase journey. Join thousands of other high-growth e-commerce marketers that upgraded to OmniSend from their generic email marketing tools and engage your customers with relevant messages across all their preferred channels. Welcome to the back room. This is Liza Casabona, Managing Editor of Retail Dive, and we're doing something a little bit different this week. I'm here with the entire Retail Dive team. We're going to go over our favorite stories of 2019, both those stories we covered and a little bit of the stories we followed but maybe didn't make it into print. And I'm going to have everyone go around and introduce themselves before we get started. Hi, this is Karen Vimar. I'm an editor. This is Daphne Howland. I'm a reporter. Hi, this is Caroline Jansen, and I'm an associate editor. This is Kara Salpini. I'm another editor on the publication. This is Ben Unglesby, and I'm a reporter. Great. Let's get started. So Daphne, you had a story in mind pretty early on for this. What was your favorite story of the year? When I heard that we were going to be flagging our favorite stories, I immediately thought of the plus story that I did ended up being maybe three or four stories on this topic. And plus size apparel, it has everything in retail. It has bankruptcies, store closures, and real consumer shifts in consumption. I learned a lot about the history of apparel. It used to be that apparel was all bespoke and everyone had their clothing either made or had to make it for themselves, depending on if they were a king or a serf. When we got to the point where there was such thing as ready to wear, things got very specific and narrowed down. And in a diverse society like we have in the United States, it's just not working anymore. We have a wide range of body types and a very narrow range of apparel sizes. And there are a bunch of brands who are taking advantage of the fact that there's a huge portion of the consumer base that is not getting served. When I did the first story on this topic, I started to hear from guys actually who we're really happy that there's been some progress made for women's apparel when it comes to retailers making and selling apparel in you know a more fair, equitable, democratic range of sizes. But we're saying it's really time for that to happen more for men too. So it just was a really fun story to do. I learned a lot and it seemed to really touch people. People really care about how they feel when they walk into a store and when they feel absent when they don't feel represented, it's not just a lost customer, but it's just sort of sad. One of the things I thought was interesting about that story, too, was you went back and talked to one of the companies that was sort of on the forefront of that movement, the Universal Standard founders. She had a great quote about emotional payments that people shouldn't have to make when they buy apparel that I thought sort of summed up what you were looking at pretty well. So Universal Standard is way beyond plus. They themselves make apparel in size 00 to 40, I believe. They help other brands 
make apparel that's inclusive that way. And one of the other things I love that she says is she doesn't want to talk about size. We should just be making apparel for everybody and not talk about it anymore. It's a good one. Ben, switching gears a little bit, you had a story that you did not write, but that you read this year that you thought was really interesting. Yeah, so my favorite story of the year, and maybe one of my favorite retail stories of all time, was in The Verge from this summer. And it's one I I dearly wished I had written, but didn't. But it was a fascinating story called Road Tripping with the Amazon Nomads. And it just followed these people who basically make their entire living from buying products at stores around the country and then selling them on Amazon's marketplace. So basically they're doing a retail arbitrage. In the lives of these people are fascinating just for one thing, but also the story gives us a picture into sort of the back end of e-commerce that we don't really get to see and we don't necessarily think about when we talk about Amazon and and other e-commerce players. And then also this weird symbiosis between Amazon and the big box retailers that it competes with. And there's one guy in the piece that they quote is saying, it's almost like I'm the front end of the business and Amazon is just an extension of my arm. And I thought that was just a fascinating quote. It's this one guy that nobody has ever heard of, but he is actually finding the products and sourcing them for Amazon's website. And I don't know if the people who bought the product had any idea that this guy played a role, but that's how he sees it. It also notes that he was traveling around the country at the time of the Toys R Us going out of business sales, buying up products from Toys R Us stores and selling them on Amazon. And again, I just thought that was interesting. I mean, we followed the Toys R Us liquidation closely, but weren't really thinking about who are actually buying these products. And among the parents who are trying to like stock up for Christmas or just taking advantage of the sales, there are these people who are playing an arbitrage game on Amazon's marketplace. And so it's this weird relationship. Amazon is getting products sourced from its big box rivals and its big box rivals are making sales off of people who are selling off Amazon. And it's just this weird, ironic relationship that I thought was fascinating. And I just thought the people in this story were fascinating. I mean, some of them love the road life. They like the freedom of it. But it's also kind of a a marginal, precarious existence because you're completely dependent on Amazon and the whims of Amazon's customers. All right. Well, that's an interesting story as well. Um, Speaking of the big box stores, Caroline, I think you had a very different kind of story (laughs) that you were interested in from this year that had to do with something odd that popped up in earnings. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a lighter story, um, but Costco and it's Q3, they mentioned on their earnings call, the CFO mentioned that they got an earnings boost due to one $400,000 ring selling (laughs) And keep in mind, this is the same retailer that sells a 27-pound bucket of mac and cheese. (laughs) So (laughs) I just thought it was really interesting that somebody who has the kind of money to spend $400,000 on a diamond ring chose to go to Costco of all places, not Tiffany, not Cartier, but Costco. And an analyst actually asked the CFO on the call if they think that they're going to struggle next year from this comp increase of $400,000, this diamond ring, the CFO said, well, do you have an anniversary coming up? All right. So for the second half of this, we're going to do something even a little bit different. There was a lot of CEOs 
speaking out about things that were a little bit odd this year. So we're going to do a quick round robin of CEOs say the darndest things, 2019 version. Kara, do you want to kick it off? I would love to. (laughs) So this was one of my favorite things this year, which was the Camping World CEO, Marcus Limonis, said he would rather go to jail than take down an American flag that was too big for a town in North Carolina's laws. And he won the, the battle, but he was paying $50 per day fines and Gander RV now owes $14,000 in fines for breaking the ordinance and an additional $2,000 in legal costs. So just (laughs) kind of got a laugh out of the amount of money that you're willing to put over to keep up your oversized American flag. All right. And Karen, I think you had another example. Oh, I have a great one. So this is a party city story. It's from their Q3 earnings. And they blamed their poor performance on a lack of awareness of the Lion King and Frozen. So (laughs) Ben wrote this story. He wrote uh, a brief called Party City, October sales, a disaster with Halloween stores down 21%. So in their Q3 earnings, their revenues were down 2.3% year over year. Comp sales were down 2.6%. So Ben was talking about this in the first part of his brief. And when I started editing it later on, he said that CEO James Harrison pointed to a lack of consumer awareness around the upcoming movies Frozen and Lion King. And I was like, Ben, what is he talking about? Oh, those indie movies Frozen and Lion King? Like, what an odd thing to blame down sales about. Just to give you a little bit of context, Frozen, the first one, made $1.2 billion at the box office. Frozen 2 so far has made $745 million. And The Lion King remake is the ninth highest grossing film ever. So this lack of awareness about these very famous Disney characters just made me laugh about what an odd way to blame your performance. I got a kick out of it. It came out like around Halloween. And I looked at the NRF. They came out with some statistics about costumes that sold really well during this last fall. And frozen costumes of Elsa and Anna were among the most popular this year, according to their research. So I'm like, come on, guy. No, this is not working. I think he was ruining the fact that Frozen 2 wasn't released until after Halloween. They couldn't ride the actual movie releases, costume buying frenzy. I don't don't know what they're expecting. There we go. Yes. (laughs) Ben, you also had, and this may be the longest segment about the CEO that we will ever have. Would you like to tell us what happened at Overstock this year? It was a long, cryptic saga. (laughs) This is the year that Patrick Byrne stepped down after many years of of leading Overstock. The reasons are complicated, but a lot of it I think has to do with statements that he made publicly. And even before public statements, stories started breaking about him. But this stuff goes so deep, he was he's somehow connected to the Mueller investigation into into Russian interference in the 2016 election. I don't even know where to begin, and I probably just shouldn't get into the specifics because it, it, you get into some pretty deep rabbit holes. But And I actually read Patrick Byrne's blog, so it gets deeper than anyone can even fathom. Statements that he made had alarmed investors so much that their stock tanked. It, it came out later that one of the reasons why I stepped down is because the company's directors and executives insurance had 
increased so much. And, and I, if I remember correctly, they weren't even going to be able to get insurance with Patrick Byrne in the CEO position. And he resigned shortly thereafter, which is a testament to how potentially volatile that company was under him. It's been a weird year for retail executives. Yeah, and actually a lot of them have stepped down this year, not just Patrick Byrne, but also we had Nike and Under Armour both had their CEOs step down. So Mark Parker and Kevin Plank are both going to exit in January. And then Daphne, in your space, there was a huge one with Art Peck and then even Tapestry CEO, Victor Luis. Yeah, Art Peck leaving Gap Inc. was really big considering that they're in the middle of trying to pull off this spinoff of Old Navy, which from what I understand, most people think was his idea. And they say that that's still on, but it's just introduced a lot of uncertainty for one of the biggest apparel companies in the world. All right. So I think that's it for our roundup of stories that we enjoyed or did not enjoy in 2019. Thanks for listening. And remember to rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Thanks.